I'm going to spend some time, just a few minutes in the Word with you this morning. And I, over the last several days, just been searching my heart to find out what the Lord wanted to have us bring and what our, what our part would be here in the life of your church. And really, up until yesterday, continuing to search. And we, we got in the car, we landed in uh, Norfolk, and we got in the car and started to drive out here. Anybody ever made that drive before? Okay. So we were driving out here last night, and uh, Jordan, my brother-in-law, and I were sitting in the front seat and just talking. We're kind of making plans for the next year, talking about a guy's trip, talking about loading up a truck and maybe heading out to the mountains, do some snowboarding or something like that. And we were just talking, just, just having a good time. And the more we got to talking about having a road trip, the more it got me in the mood for a road trip. And we pulled over because my son, four years old, Daddy, I got to go potty, so... You know, we, we make the pit stop, and I don't know what possessed me, but I went inside, and when I came out, I, it, it's, like, it's like I don't remember doing this, but when I got to the car, I had done it, and I'd bought powdered donuts, <laughs> and I tried so hard to hide them from Sarah, I tried so hard. Because we just don't do that kind of thing. We don't eat that kind of stuff. But we had, we, Jordan and I were talking road trip. And if you've ever been on a road trip, then you know you have to have powdered donuts. It's, it's a universal requirement for a road trip. So he and I got to talking and we were sharing a pack of powdered donuts. <laughs> and he was saying some things that really stirred in my heart, some things that have been uh, really significant to where we are in our lives and our ministry right now. So this word that I'm about to bring to you today, it is either straight from the throne of God or it is the result of powdered donuts. I, I choose to believe that this is a word from God today and not because I was drunk on sugar. Uh, but we'll find out. Psalm chapter 27. I want you to look with me at verse 13. He said this. He said, I would have lost heart. I think maybe some translations say, I would have given up. I would have given in. I would have lost heart. We would say it like this, I would have quit. I would have lost heart. I would have quit unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I would have given up. I would have quit unless. So there was something here that caused him to hang on. Something here that caused him to refuse to quit. And I know I've got people in my life, I look at the generations that have gone before me. Uh, I'm third generation minister now. My grandparents, my parents have been in ministry for a long time. I just sent a text message to my grandfather. Some of you may know him. Kenneth Copeland been preaching the word of God for 47 years now all over the world. And this man who is now 77 is going harder than I've ever seen him go before. And I sent him this text message yesterday and said, I just want you to know I've been thinking about you the last few days and, and watching you as you just preach all over the world. And I just wanted to know how much I admired that. I mean, last month he was preaching in London. A few days ago he was preaching in Venezuela. Uh, I think right now he's just... Oh, he went from Venezuela to preach in Chicago. Uh, right now just getting home from a meeting in New York City. And I think back across their life and their ministry and what I've seen of it and what I know of it. And a lot of people look at what they've accomplished and what they've done. And I'm, I'm appreciative of that. But there's one thing that I'm appreciative, appreciative of above all of that. And it's what he didn't do. He didn't quit. 
He did not quit. And that's what I'm so thankful for. I'm so thankful for him and so many others that just refused to quit. Because God knows and you know there were plenty of opportunities to quit. To throw it in. To give up. To give in. To give out. And the psalmist said here, I would have lost heart. I would have quit. I would have fainted, I think one translation says. If I hadn't believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now I want you to make note of how not normal that really is. Because normal is, I would, I'm going to quit unless I see something. Unless I see God come through for me, or unless you come through for me, or this thing that I need, unless this shows up today when I need it and I can see it, if it doesn't come, I'm quitting. That's not what he said. That's not what sustained him. See, most people are sustained by what they see, by what they feel. And if they see enough and feel enough, then okay, we can keep going. But not this guy. Not this guy. I would have lost heart unless I, what? Believed to see it. Not unless I see it, unless I had believed to see it. See, what qualified him is the same thing that sustained him. What qualifies you is the same thing that will sustain you when you believe. It's believing. It's believing that qualifies you. It's not what you've done. It's not what you haven't done. If you have any understanding at all of the bigness, the hugeness of the grace of God, then you know it's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done. It's not about what you've accomplished. It's about what Jesus has accomplished. And after we got to uh, the condo last night, I was standing in the kitchen just thinking about Jordan and I's conversation, thinking about where Sarah and I are in our, in our life and our ministry right now. And I, I heard the Lord speak up on the inside of me, not something I heard out here, but just in my heart. He said, you know, resumes mean very little to me. Resumes mean very little to me. I got to thinking about what that means. We put so much on that resume, and usually it's in an effort to impress somebody. It's in an effort to sit across from somebody and say, look what I've done, look what I'm capable of, look where I've gone, look at the things that I've seen. But you know, when you slide that across the desk and, and the person on the other side is God, it's just not as impressive. It's just not that impressive. This is why Paul, in the book of Philippians, he gives you his whole resume. Born of the, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew among Hebrews. You know, and he goes through this whole, all these things of what he's accomplished. This is his resume. This is, I went to Harvard, Yale, and Princeton, sucker, so, you know, so take that. But he gets to the end of it, and you know what he says? And I count it all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ, for the sake of knowing Jesus. It just doesn't mean that much to God. And it's not because He's not impressed with you. It's not because He's not enamored by you. It's simply because what He has for you, what He's called you to do, He's calling you to go places that you've never seen. Do things you've never done. And beyond that, He wants you to go places nobody's been. Wants you to do things nobody's done. Proverbs chapter 3, you ever heard this one before? Trust in the Lord. With all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will direct your path. The next verse says, don't be wise in your own eyes. 
Why is that? Notice here that the very opposite of trusting the Lord is to lean on your own understanding. So you're either trusting Him or trusting you. Your own understanding is only going to take you as far as you've ever been. At the very best, it's going to take you as far as somebody else has been. But trusting in the Lord is going to take you places you've never been, show you things nobody's ever seen. And the psalmist said here again, I would have lost heart. I would have given up unless I had believed, unless I had trusted to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, he says, wait on the Lord. That's what Sarah was just ministering to us. I will wait on you. I think it's the book of Isaiah where she was singing that from. It says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard of a God like you that works for those who wait on him. That's what Paul was quoting when he wrote, I think in, was it 2 Corinthians? When he talked about uh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Talking about where you're headed. Talking about where you're going. But the, the, the original verse he was quoting was saying, nobody has ever seen a God. Nobody's ever even heard of a God who works for his people. Yeah, you see how quiet it gets when you say something like that. I'm not saying God is your employee, but I am telling you, He has said, I will go to work on your behalf. I will do things for you. I will go to work for you. No eye has ever seen a God like this who will work for those who just will simply wait on Him. And that waiting, that patience isn't doing nothing. It's, it's doing only like Jesus said, only what you see your father do. Saying only what you hear your father say. This is what it is to wait on the Lord. If I, if I am your waiter, if you're sitting at a table and I'm waiting on you, what am I doing? I'm, I'm, I'm serving your every need. And any time you have a request, any time you, you have a need, I'm, I'm there to meet it. And that's what it is to wait on the Lord. What do you need done? I'm here. I'm here to meet it. I'm here to meet the need. I'm here to, to do whatever it is you want me to do, to fill whatever role you want me to fill. And he says here, wait on the Lord. And this is really what I want you to see this morning. He says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Let me read this to you from some other translations. Uh, the Amplified says it like this. What would have become of me had I not believed that I would see the goodness, the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait and hope and expect the Lord. Watch this. Be brave and of good courage and let your heart be stout and enduring. Be brave and of good courage. I don't often get the opportunity to travel and preach to myself, but I think this morning what I'm going to do whether you're here or not, is I'm going to preach to myself. So many times, and I'm typically very watchful over this, I don't, I don't like to preach what I'm in the middle of. I'll, I'll preach what I just came through and what I just got out of, and here's the victory in it. But I think this morning with just what Sarah and I, what the Lord's doing in our lives, this, this, that there is something so stirring on the inside of us, and really it has been for the last several years. But at the beginning of this year, and the Lord spoke really clear to us about, our, about how we were supposed to spend our time in the year and when we were supposed to travel and when we were supposed to be home. And we just, I, I just know it. I'm just confident with it. The Lord spoke to us and said, something's coming in August. 
And so for months, our whole staff, we've been looking at each other going, something's coming. Something's coming in August. We spent the first part of the year traveling and preaching and doing what we normally do, but something's coming in August. And when August got here, we kept looking at each other going, it's August. It's August. Something's coming. Something's coming. And something came. And I know above some natural things that we saw, some, some direction that we got, we got wisdom. We got some direction from the Lord about our ministry and what we're supposed to do. And I'm telling you, it, didn't, it wasn't like something came in August. It was like something exploded in August. And we are, we are right at this place in our ministry where a, we, we use this phraseology a lot. We're going to you know, take a step. Just take a step of faith, but that's so real to me right now because it's like the foot is up, it's in the air, all that weight and all that pressure is on the other one. It's about to slam down and just take this step into what God's called us to do. And we saw it, we got picture, we, we, it, it's, got, it, it's, it's tangible, we can feel it, we can put our hands on it now and we are ready to, I think the pastor said this a moment ago, go all in. I'm ready, man. I am so ready. I feel like I've been playing around with this thing for so long and I'm ready. I'm ready to give everything I have to this. I'm ready to empty accounts. I'm ready to change our whole schedule. I'm ready to do whatever it takes. Why? Because I got this thing from God. But you know what? It's going to take some courage. I, I, I wish I could give you the details of it right now, but I don't, I don't know them well enough to, to spill the beans, so to speak. But I, we, 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 got enough, we got enough to know that it's going to take some change in the way we think, some change in the way we operate, and above all, it's going to take some courage. And the instruction here is wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Uh, turn over just a page or so to the 31st chapter. Listen to verse 24, saying almost the exact same thing he says here. In verse 24, be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Let me read it to you again from, I believe this is the Amplified. He says, be strong, and this is what I want you to hear, and let your heart take courage. Let your heart take courage. You know... So many times, especially in the more traditional translations, you read things that Jesus said and different ones said throughout Old Testament and New. Uh, Jesus so often, um, I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, I think it was the, the woman with the issue of blood and different ones that came in to receive healing. And he would say this to me, say, be of good cheer. You remember reading that ever? Be of good cheer. And I think that expression is a little lost on us because it almost sounds like cheer up. Be of good cheer. But it doesn't mean cheer up. Cheer up, I guess, is something we would say to each other, just kind of a pat on the back. Cheer up, you know, it's going to be okay. I'm sure there's a silver lining somewhere. That is not what be of good cheer means. If you look up be of good cheer, it literally means take courage. Now, here's the interesting, interesting thing about courage. It has to be taken. It has to be taken. It doesn't just happen it has to be taken everything in the life of faith living and walking by faith it has to be taken 
So many people with, without living with the revelation of how to live and walk by faith, you don't understand that there is this whole side of, 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 of the Word and living in relationship with God that it's got to be taken, it's got to be received. And this is what cracks me up right now when there's so much revelation in the body of Christ, people preaching harder than they ever have before on the grace of God and what the grace of God has done and what the grace of God has accomplished and what the grace of God has given. And it's huge. I mean, that has gone off on the inside of us and I hope it's going off on the inside of you too. Because everything that comes as a gift from God to you through Jesus is grace. It's grace. You were born again. How? By grace. Why? Because you didn't earn it. Quick show of hands. Who in here would raise your hand and say, you earned your salvation? Ushers, help me. Do we have any hands? We don't have any hands this morning. Why? Because none of you, at any point in your life, did God come to you and knock on your door and say, wow, you did it. You did it. You, no mistakes, no flaws, no sins, every law, you kept them. Way to go. I owe you some salvation. Didn't happen for you, didn't happen for me. Could not be earned, but can be received. It's a gift. That's what your salvation is. That's what your healing is. That's what the prosperity and abundance of God in your life, it's a gift. The infilling of the Holy Spirit was a gift. Everything that comes to you from God through Jesus is grace. But all of that has got to be taken. It's got to be received. How? By faith. So it's funny to me when you find, quote unquote, grace people and quote unquote, faith people and one or the other kind of turn their nose up and, you know, give each other the stank eye. And it's like you're nothing without each other. Grace people without a revelation of faith. The, all, all the grace of God is doing you no good until you know how to receive it. Faith people without a revelation of grace, you're just trying to name stuff and claim stuff without knowing what he's already given you. These things don't work without each other. But with each other, when you get a revelation of who God is and how to respond to that, that's when things start working in your life. Why am I telling you all this? I don't know. I forgot. <laughs> Take courage. That's what it is. Courage has got to be taken. Go with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 1. Those powdered donuts just mess me up. Joshua, chapter 1. And I want you to hear those words. Hear them from Jesus. We're going to hear them from God here in just a moment. Take courage. Take it. Take it. And the time that that instruction is most appropriate is when there's another option. Well, come on. That's why he would say it. Take it. Here, take this. Why? Because there's other options of other things to take. Fear can be taken. Doubt and worry and unbelief, all of it can be taken. But here's the word of the Lord to you this morning. You've got all those options. Here's another one. Courage. Take it. Take it. In Mark 11, Jesus said to the disciples, have faith in God. I don't think he was just telling them to do something. I think he was offering it to them. Here, have it. Have it. Take it. 
Listen to this from the book of Joshua. You know, if you just hold your place there in Joshua 1. If you were to back up to Deuteronomy, just a, a few chapters before this, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, Moses is coming to the end of his life, coming to the end of his assignment. And he's got a word uh, from God for the children of Israel. And in verse 6, Moses is talking to Joshua and he says, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, He is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. Now skip over to Joshua chapter 1. And in verse 1, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. Watch this in verse 4. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. I want you to notice something about this word from God. It had boundaries. Somehow, in our mind, we start thinking about world domination. You know, and especially us faith people. Because that's who I is. I am one of them. And I know many of you are too. But we get it in our minds. It's just world domination. And it's anything I see and it's anything I want. But you cannot separate... uh, the, the inheritance, the promise of God from what he said about it. Help me say this, Lord. I, I think we've slipped over into this thing. I, I was kind of teasing it, but I'm teasing myself really about naming it and claiming it. Be careful of making fun of that. You know, the, that's what Jesus said. He said, what you say you will have. But if you look at what he said there in Mark chapter 11, he told you what to say. It wasn't just say anything and have anything. It was say this and have this. Does that make sense to you? Say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and you will have that. So it's not, a just, it's not just about saying, I want this, oh, and making your confessions over that. See, the word confession itself means to say the same thing as. So you're either... Saying the same thing God has said, or you made something up. And believing itself. What do we read from the psalmist? I would have lost heart unless I had believed to see. If you believe me, if you believe something that I said, that's your response to what I said. But if I don't say anything, I've given you nothing to believe. This is why faith comes by. You've got to hear something. You have got to hear. Because if you're in faith, quote-unquote, over something you didn't get a word from God on, that's called make-believe. Are we together? That's called make-believe. And I want you to notice that the word of the Lord to Joshua wasn't about world domination. It wasn't... He did say, every place the sole of your foot will tread, I've given that to you. 
between this line and this one. Find out where the boundaries of the assignment of God is on your life. That's what's so exciting me right now. We got a closer look at the boundaries. We got a closer look at the, the completeness of the vision. And this goes on. Listen to what he says here. He says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Is this not exactly what Moses had just said to him? And I don't know what it is. I, I don't know what's better. And it probably depends on your personality. To get a word from God through somebody or to just hear God say it to you yourself. But th- can you see that God is doing everything that it takes to get it across to Joshua? He spoke this through Moses to him, and now he's speaking it directly to him. I am not leaving you. And then he says to him, this is what I want you to see here in verse 6. He says, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Every time you look courage up, you're going to find that it has to do with your response in the face of danger. Every time. It has to do with whatever you're facing right now. And really what God said to Joshua here, you want to know what he's really saying to him? Don't flinch. Don't flinch. Did you ever used to play that game when you were kids? Made you flinch? You kind of pretend to hit somebody. Oh, made you flinch. God is saying to Joshua here, do not flinch. In the face of this thing, that I've called you to. Oh, this is it's so big in me. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the words right now. This always comes. Courage. It's in the face of promotion. And promotion has such a positive tone to it. But did you ever get a promotion you didn't want? <laughs> or one you didn't ask for? I'm wondering if Joshua was like, I didn't ask for this. Sounds great, leader of this nation, but I did not ask for this. God says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Tag, you're it. (laughs) I didn't ask for this. I didn't ask to lead a million plus really stubborn people. This is promotion that I, I don't know if he was all that excited about, but he got tagged. He got tapped. And now he's facing it. And, he's, and God says to him, Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you'll, defi- you'll divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous. Saying the same, to him, same thing to him over and over again. Be strong, be courageous. This time he says, Only be strong and very courageous. In other words, don't be anything else. Be strong and be courageous and nothing else. Verse 8, this book of the law will not depart from your mouth. You'll meditate on it day and night. You'll have good success. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. I like that. Have I not commanded you? What's he saying? And, And oh, did I mention this? Be strong and courageous. Be strong and of good courage. Don't flinch. Be strong and of good courage. He says, uh, do not be afraid, nor dismayed. This word dismayed, if you look it up, I think I've got it written down here. It's um, struck, this is the definition of it, struck with fear, 
dread, or consternation. And consternation is fear resulting, watch this, from the awareness of danger. Do not be dismayed. It's fear resulting from the awareness of danger. So, what's his reason for not being afraid here? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That has got to become more than cliche to me and you. This is your source for boldness. This is your source for courage. That the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He didn't say there wasn't danger. He said, don't be afraid of it. And this consternation, this fear, this dread comes from the awareness of danger. So here's the choice. You're either going to be more aware of the danger that faces you, or you're going to be more aware of your God that is with you wherever you go. And this is what has to happen in our lives right now. Our awareness of His presence in our lives has got to come to an all-time high. Our awareness of Him with us wherever we go. I mentioned a moment ago, those I'm so thankful that just did not quit. You know they had opportunity. I mean, how many of you have been in this church for more than three, more than four or five years? Is there anybody that's been hanging around that long? Aren't you thankful that your pastors, when they moved out here, whatever it was, eight or nine years ago now, almost ten years ago, that they didn't quit in those early days? I don't know the details of the story, but I'm guessing you had opportunity. I'm guessing there was opportunity to look at each other and go, what in the world have we done? What made us think that this was going to work? There was opportunities to throw it in, opportunities to quit, but you should be so thankful that they didn't. Our awareness of the presence of God. Not, yes, His presence in our church, absolutely. Our awareness of Him has got to come up. But your awareness of Him with you, wherever you go, has got to come up. And the, the simple point of this is, Stuff's just easier when there's somebody else there. Is that not true? I mean, how much fear is removed from a situation when there's just somebody else with you? I'm going to tell on myself a little bit right now. When I was, when I was little, I was a kid. Um, I have a sister. She's seven years younger than me. And I was probably, gosh, I don't know, maybe... Uh, eight, nine, ten years old, and somewhere along the line, she got in the habit of coming into my room at night and getting in bed with me and going to sleep in my room. And I'm the big brother, right? But I remember having this conscious thought that when she would get out of bed in my room and go into the other room, you know, I need a drink, I forgot to brush my teeth, whatever it was, I remember having the conscious thought of somebody, she, she's leaving, and I would feel more afraid. She's four! <laughs> I'm the big brother. But I remember having that, that awareness of, okay, now I'm alone in the room. When I was a senior in high school, I started, uh, I started flight school. started learning how to fly airplanes. And I remember I was going on my first solo. I had about 20 hours flying an airplane at this point, And I had been flying with an instructor up until this point. Your first solo. You know what solo means, right? It means ain't nobody else even around. You are up in the air in an airplane by yourself. Who lets you do this? 
And I remember he and I had taken off from the airport where the, the flight school was, and we'd flown out to my grandparents' ministry, which was just probably a 10-minute flight. And I was going to do my first solo. You know, your first solo is just around the traffic pattern. And uh, we're going to, uh, I, we land out there, and here's the thing. I let him out, right, because i got to do this by myself now. Well, one person getting out of an American Airlines jet doesn't really make a difference. One person getting out of a two-seat airplane with a lawnmower engine strapped to the front <laughs> makes a huge difference. And for the last 10, 15, 20 hours that I've been flying, I've been flying with somebody else with me. And now all of a sudden, this guy gets out. He's probably, you know, 200, 210 pounds, something like that. And that makes a huge difference in a tiny little airplane. So I take off by myself, and I come around the traffic pattern, and I make my left-hand turn, left-hand turn, left-hand turn, and here I come, and I'm like, nope, doesn't look good. So I don't even try it. I go back around this time. I'm, I'm going to land this thing, and here's the thing. You've got to do three touch and goes. You know what that means? It means you land, you set the wheels on the ground, you power back up, take off, and you do that three times. Well, I come around on that second time. I haven't landed yet. I'm thinking, I've got to put this thing on the ground this time. And you've never sweat until you've flown an airplane by yourself for the first time. I slammed that airplane into the ground so hard. It looked like a giant basketball going down a runway. Bam! 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 <laughs> and, you know, I survived it, obviously. Took, <laughs> took back off, came around. Second time, not as much bounce, still some third time, pretty decent landing. But I just remember getting out of the airplane thinking, that was in every way different because I was alone. One reason, I was by myself. And I thought to myself, I never want to fly alone again. <laughs> you have to, though. I mean, in your training, you have to. I had to do a cross-country solo. And you think the first one's bad? This time, I got lost. You guys are going, you're a terrible pilot. It's, it's probably why I don't fly to this day. But I got lost on, on one of my first cross-country solos. And it's not like you pull over and ask somebody for directions. Where am I going? Can you tell me how to get back to this airport? I was lost. And thank God I knew enough about how to radio in and say, hey, can I have vectors to such and such? You know, you just play it cool and you act like you know what you're doing the whole time. And I get back to the flight school and land and my instructor's in there and he's going, hey, how was it? And I was like, fine, it's good, see you next time. You know, I, don't, I don't want to talk about any of this. I hated being alone. Everything's better when there's somebody else, right? A couple of years ago, Jordan and I went together to South Africa Sarah and I almost always, like 99% of the time, we travel together. But this particular time, she was going to come over to South Africa a few days after we had gotten there. So Jordan and I went. He was staying in his hotel room. I was staying in mine. And this was the first time in years that I had slept alone. I couldn't sleep. I was up to 4 o'clock in the morning for like four or five nights in a row. Why? Because I was by myself. Everything's better with somebody else. Right? But it takes the fear out of it. Just the awareness of another person in the situation takes the fear out. Doesn't it? I have to laugh at some of the stuff she and I have gone through. Early, early in our marriage, we were laying in bed one night, and we heard 
we heard a sound at the front door. And she, Sarah, Sarah woke me up. She's like, did you hear that? Did you hear that? And I listened and I could hear it. There was definitely, definitely something at the front door. And the little house that we were in at that point, you come out of our bedroom and then there's like one main hallway and the, the front door is right there. So, so I kind of, <laughs> I kind of stick my head around the door. Oh, I got to shut up. We're, we got to be done. And I'm like, who's there? Hello? Who's there? And so finally I, I turned the light on. Before I had gotten out of bed, I reached over the nightstand and I had this knife. Just, just a pocket knife. So that's the only thing I can find. So I have my pocket knife in my pajama shorts and I'm standing, I'm standing in the hallway and Sarah's behind me. I'm like, Hello? Who's there? In the front bedroom, though, I decided to exchange the knife for a little heavier weaponry. I went and I got my rifle. Now, this is a rifle that my grandfather gave me when I was like 12 years old. And engraved on this rifle is Jesus is Lord. (laughs) So now I'm standing at the front door with a rifle. With a Jesus is Lord rifle. Now here's what you need to know about the rifle. I don't own any bullets. I own no ammunition for this thing. But yet I'm standing at the front door. I'm going to scare something off with my Jesus is Lord gun. And we can hear it. We can hear that noise. There's something going on at our front door in the middle of the night. And finally I worked up enough courage to open the door and find that somebody had rubber banded a heavy cardstock flyer to the front door and the wind was just blowing it. That's all it was doing. It was just scratching the front door. And we laugh about stuff like that. But do you know, I'd probably still be in bed right now if I didn't just have somebody else with me. All that to say... The fear is removed from any situation, anything you're facing, anything you're going into, any step you're about to take. Let your awareness of His presence in your life take the fear out. You're not alone in this thing. There's a difference between watching a scary movie by yourself and watching it with somebody else, right? Just just somebody else being in the room. And whether somebody's there physically or not, you are never ever alone. I was looking, I'll I'll wrap it up with this, I was looking in the book of Matthew last night, back at the account, you remember Jesus walking on the water to the disciples and all of that? And, uh, man, the Bible says they were terrified. They saw Him out there and they thought it was a ghost. They were terrified. If you look in the New Living Translation, this is what Jesus said in response to their fear. He said, do not be afraid. Take courage. I am here. I'm here. Take courage. I'm here. Take courage. So what did Peter do? He took some. He reached out and he took some. And he threw those big hairy legs on the other side of that boat. And he got out and he walked. But you know what? He did not walk on water. He walked on the word that came from Jesus. Jesus said, take courage, it's me. And, Jesus, and Peter said, if it's you, then tell me to come. And Jesus said, come on, let's do it. 
And Peter stepped out of that boat onto that word. How many people have tried to walk on water without the word, come here? But he stepped out on that word. He took what Jesus offered. So this is simple. I think this is simple this morning. My assignment, our assignment in coming to you today was to offer you courage. Take it. Take it. I know in my heart that there's people in the same position we're in. Maybe you guys in this church, you're getting ready to step into some of these same kind of things and you're looking at a step that's in front of you and, and it's like, do we do it? Do we do it? Let's do it! Mm-hmm. You know, and you just want to give everything you have for it. Take courage. Just a couple of days ago, we were sitting in our living room. We had our staff gathered and we had invited some good friends of ours who are missionaries in Africa to come talk to us, just come talk to our staff. These are people that we support, and we just wanted to just wanted to hear about the adventure that they're on. You know, I mean, these are people that have left their home, they've left everything here, and they've moved to Kenya. What an adventure. And he said something that has stuck with me. He said, you know, he said, I, I want to be a 51% person. He said that, <laughs> what in the world do you mean? He said, as soon as 51% of me believes I have direction from the Lord... I want that to be enough. Just all I'm looking for is a majority. So I know, I know there's going to be other thoughts. I know there's going to be other feelings. But I'm just looking for that 51st percent that's confident that this is God. And I'm going to go for it. Man, that stuck with me. I love that. This thing that we're looking at, this, this thing that we feel like we're on the verge of. Yeah, man, we got questions. We have, we've got some, there's some question marks hanging around out there. But uh, that, like I said, that foot is in the air. It's about ready to land on the ground. We're about to take this step. And it's just so exciting. And I'm ready. I'm ready to do something that takes courage. I'm ready to do something that takes bravery. I'm going to take my courage from him and do this thing. Man, I want you to be there. I want us as the body of Christ, this is the way I've been thinking about it lately, living out on that ragged edge (laughs) of living and walking by faith. Going places nobody's been, seeing things nobody's seen. Emptying accounts if we have to. Because He's faithful. And if He provided this much, He'll provide that much more. I'm asking you, Lord, to do what you can with this word. Take it and root it deep down on the inside. I know your presence is strong in us. I know your presence is strong among us. And I hear your word today, Lord. You are offering courage to us. You're saying, like you said to Joshua, take it. Be of good courage and take this. So by faith in Jesus' name, we reach out and we take our courage. We take our strength. Thank you for strengthening our hearts. Giving us the bravery and the courage that it takes to do all that you called us to do.